and found and rewound a podcast about movies that we don't remember whether or not they're good but we think they were good and then we watch them and we talk about them they're typically to be i think most of them are obscure now right but may not have been obscure back in the day i'm chris lost i'm found jim (laughs) throws me off every time i'm rick rewound and together we make sharky's machine and we should all be standing in a row <laughs> or walking down a stairwell in a, in a tight formation. <laughs> already, or we're running to, there was that, you know, you keep pointing that out, but there, that's conscious because there was that point, remember where they're running down the side of the car and they're all like ducked down and they're kind of shouldering the car as the whole line of them. It was a very <laughs> awkward duck walk, like seven cops duck walking against a car. <laughs> it's very strange. And I feel like maybe it's because... Burt Reynolds, that was how he sort of moved through the world by that time, is that he always had at least four or five guys in close formation around him. And so it was like in the movie, that's, of course, that's how guys walk around together. It's like you're going to walk in this clot of five or six burly guys everywhere, you <laughs> yeah. know? And, and so he's just kind of working from his, his experience. He's forgotten or he had forgotten how normal people walk around. Like sometimes they walk by themselves or with another person, but rarely... You know, with like five or six men walking with maybe an inch of space between each other. But that was his machine. The machine. <laughs> That's right. The, and, the, the, the machine is his team. Exactly. Right? And, they, and so like they were like cogs, t- you know, coupled mm-hmm. together, working in unison. <laughs> it's a, a visual metaphor. Yeah. And, and I realized, yeah, yeah, I think you pointed it out and I realized, oh, yeah, of course, it's a, it's a visual metaphor. So it's, I was being kind of complaining about the the tight formations of all these men in these shots but then it's like oh no it's it's actually being done for a reason rather than just oh we need to fit everybody in this the shot you really have no patience for you you really uh, you've fallen in love with the the modern language of film which has like been written you know has been pretty much written in stone to you it's you know people should stand a certain distance from one another yeah. They should not look old on film. <laughs> they should not look bloated on film. What I was pointing out is that I, I feel like my standards for filmmaking have been changed by the digital world, even though I feel like I'm a person who appreciates older film. But then when I see Burt Reynolds' head like taking up the whole screen and then you can see him like the 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 pores in his face and the bumps and, the, and the, the hairs and the fact that his face is uneven, you realize that nowadays when we see people 
in movies, they're being digitally manipulated. That's the thing. Is or that, on the street. Yeah, <laughs> or on the street, right? Yeah, but but in in the, uh, it's like the thing now in Hollywood is not plastic surgery. It's that yeah, in your contract, if you're a famous actor, it's like oh yeah, you gotta you gotta spend a certain amount of the budget. There's kind of like a dark budget line, right, to to do all this digital touch up, you know, which they've been doing for the past ten years. And so it's like somebody like Brad Pitt, your perception of what a fifty year old man looks like. It, it's already skewed because Brad Pitt's a freak of nature, but then on top of it, th there's somebody who's tweaking that digitally. Right. Yeah, and so when I see a 44-year-old man in his full glory on the screen... In, 1981. In, in 1981, exactly. It's, 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 I'm realizing, oh, my, my perceptions have changed. And then the camera movement, too. It's like you put a camera on a helicopter and it bounces all over the place, whereas now with drones... You get that weird, elegant, smooth kind of those smooth helicopter shots now because they're not helicopters, they're drones. And it's like that's starting to affect the way I look at movies and it's freaking me out. I actually like it. I like when shit looks rough because it reminds me, it makes me feel better about the films I make. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm just making a stylistic film when I do things that don't look very good. Right. It's an homage it's to an homage. 1970s filmmaking. To before they knew how to make films well. Early 80s. This is another complaint I have about the movie, though, is that it seems like a brutal amount of close-ups, and the close-ups are... Ex I, I was going to point it out while we were watching it, but I thought maybe I would be going too far complaining about this stuff, but I don't know if the two of you noticed it, but it, it seemed like there were the close-ups, there were a lot of them, and then they were really close-up, like too close. Did you get and that feeling? Shots... Looking up, under, like un unflattering. <laughs> unflattering. That's, that's nice. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. There was one whole scene where Charles Durning's listening to the tapes, right? And you don't see his face. It's just all the back of his head. Like <laughs> even a part where he walks, you know, sort of deeper into the picture and it's still the back of his head. And I don't know if that was a choice because somebody was mad at Charles Durning or if it was like, oh, let's do a shot where you don't show his face. It's just him talking the whole time. Yeah, there there were too many close-ups. I'm, I'm not a fan of especially in action films, shooting things tight because I like to see... I prefer that the camera be wider and moving in an action film rather than close and stationary. And here they did a lot of close and stationary, even just mm -hmm. in the yelling at each other scenes. Mm -hmm. right. I wouldn't even call them fight scenes. They're just... That's their way of communicating. Sorry, I started going deep on some of this stuff. We didn't even... You're supposed to do a synopsis, right, of Correct. the movie yes, the Sharky's film, Machine. The film we watched today was named Sharky's Machine. And can I say another thing? Is every time I type it into IMDb, I can't find it. And because I realized that Sharky does not have an E in it. It's just S-H-A-R-K-Y apostrophe S. Whereas I think it should be S-H-A-R-K-E-Y. Apostrophe S. Sharkies. That would be spelling it wrong, though. Yeah, but but haven't you ever seen Sharky with an E? You would think. I, I just have seen the film so many times that you I know, know how, how to it's spell spelled. it. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Thomas Sharky, a hotshot narcotics cop, has his undercover buy ruined by Smiley, another narcotics cop. In the frenzy, Sharky kills the dealer, but a civilian is shot in the chaos. Sharky is bucked down to vice where he stumbles into a high-class sex worker-slash-drug-slash-political scandal. Looking to bust Donald, a gubernatorial candidate, Sharky rear-windows Domino, a sex worker, who's shot in the face by her John's assassin for falling in love with the candidate. Surprise! 
She's alive. Her friend was killed instead. Determined to bust the candidate, pimp, and assassin, Sharky takes Domino to a safe house, his childhood home, next to a school, where he slaps Domino around, confesses he loves kids, and makes love to Domino. Surprise! Smiley is a mole, and Sharky kills him after losing two fingers. In a series of macho and violent scenes, everyone is dead or maimed, except for Sharky and Domino, who live in Sharky's childhood home and play tire swing. The end. That's beautiful. That actually cleared up a few things for me. Accurate? Yeah. Except for the fact that at the end he was maimed. It's just Domino is not maimed, but he's maimed. I said everybody is. Oh, Sharky was maimed. Oh. Yeah, but you mentioned his fingers missing. No, it's fine. Dialogue in the film, I at first thought it was just weird at times, but I'm start I don't know if it's intentional or not, but there were lines in it that didn't make any that did, weren't phrased the way you would normally say them. So at one time Sharky is down in the vice cop part of the building, which is the obviously the basement in a real dingy place. And Sharky says to his new commanding officer, When we flush the toilets upstairs, I always wondered where it came to. Wouldn't you say I always wondered where it went? Yeah. <laughs> and then is the other one the bad guy where he says, I have you by the the ass or by the butt? Oh, what does no. he say? He says, and then later on he says, can you feel your ass? Your ass I puckering. Can f- puckering, right? But he also says earlier, I, I have you by he your ass. He says you're ass. a turd at the bottom of a commode and I've got my hand on the chain. Right, but before that he says, I have you by your ass oh. instead of by your balls. <laughs> the which Italian I, guy said that? No, Sharky. Sharky says, okay, there's Bert another Reynolds says that example. to him. Yeah, it's it's odd moments where the metaphors are slightly off, but maybe that's because again, I am just looking for the the archetypes, the, the yeah, the things that the kind of clichés and the standard stuff and I feel like a movie like this should follow all the rules, but they're breaking the rules. Well, just like Sharky. Yeah. And here's some more. His commanding officer says to him, "If you make waves, I get a mouthful." A mouthful? You get an earful, right? <laughs> and then... Well, water. Waves, water. You know, you get ah, a mouthful of yeah, water. Right. I didn't even hear that line, though. It, it <laughs> seems weird anyways. I get a mouthful. I I think it's like somebody shoots a mouthful of shit at him. But then his Jewish friend from school talking about his daughter says, can you believe that she came out of someone like me? And, like, she didn't. She came out of her mother. Right. I mean, I guess semen came out of him. And then... Um, Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. I just wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. And then there's a His line... His Jewish friend played by Richard Libertini. An Italian. But as I yes. said during the film, us Italians can go both ways. I've been <laughs> com- frequently mistaken for a Jewish person. And then it says he had a 357 in his hand. Is that the actor just reading the line wrong? Or is that a cool way of saying 357? Oh, yeah. And then there was an exchange. You went too far, Vito. And then he says, Vito responds, there's no such place. I didn't get that. And then the last one is, I just put Tommy there to fool her. So he's talking about inscribing the word Tommy on his mom's dresser, and he jokingly says his name is Ralph. I just put Tommy there to fool her, but his mother would know his name. His name. So just some odd, <laughs> very odd stuff. <laughs> that, that and one other non-sequitur note, why does the governor use an SM57 and an SM58? <laughs> Aren't they the same capsule? <laughs> <laughs> 
That's on IMDb, right? In under the goofs. <laughs> <laughs> that's one that I think that's a lost and found and rewound exclusive. <laughs> Only the three of us find would, that. Would a notice it and b find, find it, it funny. funny? I did notice the SM57. I did not note the, but I was just like, why would you have a 57 anyways for that? Even though it is the same capsule, but it's like the 58 is a better. Anyways, yeah, they're both not ideal for what he was trying to use them for. That's true. Jim, anything on the music in this film? <laughs> I tried to look up stuff. Doc Severinsen had something to do with it, but I couldn't really find... I just get the feeling, you know, obviously they were probably buddies because he was always on The Tonight Show. I think of Burt Reynolds hanging out with Johnny. I'm sure he hung out with Doc Severinsen, so he's like, I'm doing this movie, and could you do a, f- a few songs? So there's a few Doc Severinsen songs. and Yeah, he arranged and, and recorded... A few songs, you have four or five songs for the movie. Yeah, and there's like, there's all, yeah, it's all cool jazz. Other than that, it's like cool jazz, like Chet Baker. There's a Chet Baker song. Yeah, there are a couple versions of My Funny Valentine, right? Yeah. So there's the Chet Baker version, and then there was the, oh, who is it? Not Peggy Lee. There's a different Peggy Lee song. Who's the woman who was, uh, she was the nurse on Emergency, Mm. but was married to Jack Webb and was a jazz singer. Do you know that? The Mm, nurse on Emergency, the one who she'd always be at the radio. Yeah. So she was kind of like red hair. Yeah. What's her name? I think her version of something. I'm looking up Snuff Garrett right now, though. So not to not to go on a tangent, but Emergency, (laughs) was it? It did have two titles. I feel like there was like Engine 51 and Emergency, but they were the same show. They were, but so they ch- the name is different was different in syndication. So oh. the original, I think it was called Emergency when it was on primetime, but then when they syndicated it, I believe it was something like Emergency Engine 51 or something like that yeah. where it differentiated because they might have been on early on, the syndicated version might have still been on at the same time that the primetime version. And so sometimes for some of those shows, they would differentiate between the reruns in syndication. It would be like if Brady Bunch had still been on when you saw Brady Bunch reruns, so it would be like Brady Bunch family time would be the syndicated version, and then it would be called the Brady Bunch in primetime, so you would know the difference between the old reruns that were on every day and the primetime once-a-week versions. I believe that's the answer to your question. Interesting. That's a great answer. (laughs) Although I, I got confused watching it in syndication, so they weren't very clean. I mean, it was off the air prime time when I started watching it, so they weren't very clean about which version they were playing in syndication. So Snuff Garrett, though, was the music coordinator, and so he was supposed to produce the Monkees, but then Boyce and Hart got the job. Oh. Hmm. He was, yeah, connected to the Burl building. I'm trying to think of why Snuff Garrett is famous. I mean, he was a producer. I've never heard that credit before. Never heard music Snuff Garrett, huh? No, music, well, I haven't oh. heard of Snuff Garrett or music coordinator as a credit. I always thought it was like musical director. Oh, maybe that's what it was. No, Sorry. it was musical, musical coordinator. coordinator. Okay, yeah. in the movie, maybe Burt Reynolds just didn't know what it was called. <laughs> <laughs> he was rushed at the end. He was just finishing up the credits. He did it all. You know, the he's, cred- a, he's, 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 he's a musical coordinator. Just put it up there. <laughs> Write it in neon. Get it, get it up what the was screen. the? Well, how do you, can can you do the uh, Burt Reynolds laugh? <laughs> we we didn't get any of that in this movie. There was one moment. Actually, I noticed that there was one moment where he kind of got charming, and then he he took it down. He's like, well, wait, this isn't that movie. <laughs> Housekeeping items. The, I saw the following film since since the last time we taped the podcast. Nashville, mm-hmm. Gone Girl, mm-hmm. Hooper on the big screen. I watched a film called The Gambler. Oh, yeah. This one starring Mark Wahlberg, 
<laughs> Jessica Lang, John Goodman, and Brie Larson. So is that the one that's a remake of the James Conn one, or is it's it a, a third version of a gambler movie? It's a remake of the James Conn film, yeah. and it was a soulless piece of shit. Okay, so it's good that I decided not to watch it. It's terrible. It's mentioning Nashville. Parts of this movie, Sharky's Machine, were a little bit Robert Altman-like. Some people talking over each other. Maybe it's just my hearing is getting bad, but <laughs> it just seemed like there was a little bit of... There was definitely some slower sort of improv kind of people stumbling over lines and just leaving it in. So it was kind of... Yeah. It's, it, it just reminded me of Robert Altman there. Yeah, where, where <laughs> people nice. would step on each other's lines and then, yeah. It yeah. was definitely casually just kind of... They were sort of yeah. winging it, so that yeah. was cool. Well, that whole hallway scene was that, right? Yeah. They're all shouting at each other as the four of them are walking down <laughs> a crowded hallway. <laughs> Yeah, the walk and talk. Yeah, it was a it was a pretty amazing walk and talk. Well, I read something that Burt Reynolds said that the his theory is that you cast. He's like the way the film was cast. He's like I didn't really have to direct it. I just cast it really well, and then just let those guys do their stuff, which is is yeah. true. I mean, those guys were putting themselves out there. Yeah, it was all great, like, great actors. Piglet, Piglet was in Piglet it. Piglet was in it. Oh, he was brilliant. In it, Brian actually. Brian Keith in Hooper. He plays Sally Field's father, and he has a stroke. Oh, you know, man. You know, the one thing I noticed about Hooper and, and Smoking the Bandit was clearly Hal Needham and Burt Reynolds were like, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to make a good old fun Midwestern film, and then anytime we need people to cry, we'll bring in Sally. And that's like, <laughs> and I cried three times in Hooper, and each time Sally Field was on the screen, I was like, this woman is a tremendous actor. Because it was, and she just, and their relationship just looked like so much fun. You know, it's like, they must really love one another. And then I came home and I was like, why did, honey, why did Sally Field and Burt Reynolds break up? And she's like, he fucking cheated on her the whole time. I, like, oh, okay. I heard an interview with her and she, she talked about how. With my wife? No, no, with Sally Field. And, and she did talk about how she wasn't specifically talking about Burt Reynolds, but kind of how she would continually, even though she was a good actress and, you know, had the talent and everything like that, for some reason she still needed some kind of relationship with a man to, to you know, she had, she had issues, man issues, where it was kind of like she was always undermining her talent <laughs> in the service of other men, right? And it was really interesting. So, I, I mean, I think that's another reason why they broke up is just because it's just kind of like, oh, she doesn't belong with Burt Reynolds. Right. She was a lot more talented. Well, yeah, I, I was, a, it was, an, I think, a, a wonderful pairing. I'm so happy that they all were together. Needham, Burt Reynolds, and Field, because I think she brought the credibility to the films. Oh, yeah. I also saw Beach Bum, which I would recommend. Fantastic Harmony Corinne film. Mm. And Mandy, a home invasion horror movie that is a visual tribute to Roger Dean album covers and an audio tribute to 80s metal. Wow. Is that a recent film? Yeah, it's a Nick Cage movie. And it's it's oh, oh, that interview. Did you guys read the Nick Cage interview I sent you from the New York Times? Yeah, I did. No. What it's interview the did you profile. Send? I sent it a while, didn't I? Yeah. yeah. Uh-oh. You were you were CC'd on that, man. I've got something um, to read it's, now. It's really good because it, I, he doesn't do a lot of interviews, and, and I think that came up in that. It's just, it, it gave me new respect for him as an artist, right? It's like, oh, he's crazy, but in, in an artistic way as opposed to just he's a lunatic, at least, but also could mean that he's just, you know, justifying everything he's done and has answers for all the craziness. But it seems like it's just a guy who's really invested in his art and 
<laughs> living life as he wants to live it and then doesn't spend a huge amount of time trying to explain to people why he's doing anything and also can get away with stuff like Uncle Francis, I'll do the movie. I don't want to do the movie, <laughs> but if I do the movie, I want to talk like Pokey from the Gumby cartoons throughout the whole movie. Peggy Sue Got Married. Have you oh, ever seen that? Oh, no, I haven't seen that movie. I saw it in the theater because it was a Francis Ford Coppola movie, but it's pretty intense. And he's, he talks about it like everybody on the film hated him. And it's it's like, it's insane the, the way he plays that character from what I remember. And he's got fake teeth too. Does he so ruin the movie? I would say that I don't think the movie's good anyways. I think I have to watch it again. We should watch Peggy Sue Got Married probably. <laughs> should. I'd have to watch it again. What I would say is it was a movie that was not good that it's a Nicolas Cage thing. It's like the reason why it's good is because Nicolas Cage is so out there that it kind of in some way redeems it. That's my memory of it. But my ending feeling was is that this was not a good movie. Who is that guy, right? I don't think Nicolas Cage... I think it was... Bef- was it before? Yeah, it would have been before Raising Arizona. Yeah. Well, Vampire's Kiss is the same way. I think yeah. It's a pretty flat film <laughs> with a great, insane performance exactly. in it that fixes it. And then the last film I saw was Blade in the theater just last Saturday. They're going to reboot that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So and I can... watched the Wesley Snipes Blade. Mm-hmm. Took my son baby's first blade (laughs) i saw the apocalypse now what is it called now what is final cut final cut in in imax with my offspring and that was okay but it's still i think the original edit or the the whatever edit that came out in 1980 79 is the best edit this is in between the redo Redux, whatever you want to call it. It's shorter, but it's still got the goofy extra surfboard stuff where, like, he steals the surfboard from Kilgore and then Kilgore's, like, chasing them down the river trying to get the surfboard back. And then there's the French plantation scene, which is beautiful, but is really, I think, interferes with the pace of the film. I don't know what the half-hour stuff he cut out from the, you know, the three-and-a-half-hour version, but I'm still, I still would like to see a two-and-a-half, two-hour and 40-minute version on the big screen again, but I don't think that's going to happen. Also, the first time I saw Apocalypse Now, I, I, maybe, I don't know if you guys remember, the first time I saw it, I saw a 35-millimeter or 16-millimeter print at college, and it was one of the ones where they tacked on all the explosions at the end, so you get the impression that he that they firebombed the oh, compound. yeah. But that's that's not the official version anymore, and that was supposed to be, oh... We added that in there because the footage was really great for the 35 millimeter prints, but then everyone got the wrong idea, so we took it off. But you'd see it because, you know, it's like they'd be in circulation for years. Doesn't it insinuate that they kill Charlie Sheen? Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen. No, no, Sorry, they, yeah, I think Sheen. it's. <laughs> you see the boat going away, and then you see the fire bombing, right? Or that the thing got called in. The version I just saw, it's hard for me to keep track of all the versions, but this last version I saw. You just see the boat go away, and then it ends. And there's no explosions at the end. Apparently, the compound is still there, right? No, it doesn't get firebombed. I like the firebombing ending. Well, after he mm-hmm. killed Kurtz, I guess, what's the point of firebombing the compound? I guess just to clean up what's the, the rest. What's the point? Yeah, it's kind of just... Get, get rid of the worshipers. Yeah, it's war. It's senseless. It's an apocalypse. Wow, I didn't think that you and I would be on this side of an argument. <laughs> I'm here saying that we should preserve these people's lives. <laughs> right. Rick is saying, let's firebomb all. That's not a documentary. I think I saw another movie, but I can't remember. That's, yeah, one. You had one. 
I'm watching a lot of TV, so I'm working on stuff, and I watch TV. So I've watched Legion. I'm getting through Legion, which I'm I'm impressed with as a TV series. Is it good? It is good. I like it. I like it better than the one that was on Netflix with the kind of mental illness with super bad chubby guy and then the woman with the big eyes. Emily somebody I can't remember it's on Netflix and it's about mental illness and medication and stuff and it's kind of reality not real and I think Legion does a better job with the kind of is this real is it not kind of thing oh I don't know anything about Legion either did I and I just wound up watching it and so I really enjoy I'm enjoying that I haven't finished it Jim what have you watched since uh I only yeah I only saw one I saw the hit I watched that again, which is actually something maybe we should do for this. I wasn't. I was thinking I could change one of my movies to that because it definitely fits in with this podcast. Because it was a movie I saw in high school, rented from the video store, and I probably I haven't seen in thirty years or something like that. It's from like nineteen eighty four. It's uh, without revealing it just, too much. It just kind of stuck with me. I remember Does we it watched it and have Gary Oldman in it. No, no. it's Tim. Roth? Is Roth, that, okay. It's his first oh, movie. Okay. But it's John Hurt and Terrence Stamp. Wow, okay. And they're like, uh, in, takes place in Spain. John Hurt is like a hit man and Tim Roth is his apprentice. And wow. They're, they're going after Terrence Stamp and it is really great. And I hadn't seen it in a long time, but I yeah. just remember it's one of these movies I saw on videotape in high school and it was like, oh yeah, this, it's kind of disappeared, but I think. It's, it's, uh, oh, what's his name? Stephen Frears. Frears, okay. Directed it. He did My Beautiful Laundrette, and he did uh, some more famous, I can't remember what, or, oh, he did, actually, we were talking about Rick Mayall mm-hmm. the other day, the other, uh, with, uh, why were we talking about Rick Mayall? Uh, right said, not right said right Fred. <laughs> uh, what is it? What's the, what's the, right, the crazy, the movie. He's not right said Fred, not I'm too sexy for my shirt. Oh, it's, uh, imaginary friend. Fred, Frank. We were talking upside down. That was a movie that I had seen recently. um, That they did on. uh, How did this get made? Yeah. Um, What was the name of that? You know, Uh, Drop Dead Fred. Fred. And Right Said Fred. Stephen Frears directed a. I just saw, uh, like a. It was just before uh, Rick Mail and Aiden Edmondson. They did just before the Young Ones. It's that TV show, the comic strip. There, there was that all those people were in, and I've seen a few episodes of that. But there's this one full episode, is one single movie, like a 45 minute movie, and it's Stephen Frears, Frears directed that, and it's it's like called Mister Mister Jolly Lives Next Door, and it's <laughs> it's like Rick Mail and Aiden Edmondson are like escorts, and they live next door to Peter Cook, who's like a <laughs> serial killer. Wow, it's it's, it's really grim it's kind of dark and it's funny but it's it's pretty brutal and but it's like 45 minutes long but he drew yeah Stephen Frears directed that too but wow, was, I gotta check that out yeah it's I had never seen that before but. I have to rewatch the young ones because when I watched it when I was young I couldn't understand what they were saying <laughs> <laughs> so now that we have closed captioning yeah I'll have to watch it with the captions on those strange foreign accents I literally I mean I'm just an idiot but I couldn't understand English at the time <laughs> it was hard let's go through the questions real quick what should this film be lost meaning am i over glorifying this film and should it just is it just a regular film that i had never seen it before either had i yeah and it was pretty entertaining i i thought you know it kind of had parts of it were kind of uh, troubling tr- yeah but <laughs> but it, it definitely 
is I, I'd always heard it was a pretty good movie. I think you know it's like it was definitely his best movie probably that he either directed. Either Gator or White Lightning, <laughs> I can't remember, but the, one of the two Gator films. In he directed. the end, we were right. You said the, he had direct he directed the end, the movie about yeah. the guy with Dom DeLuise, right? Which I only remember from watching being in the movie theater from that time, seeing the previews, previews for that yeah. with him falling out a window or something, right? And trying to kill himself or something. It's but, a, oh, a yeah. suicide comedy or something. Yeah. Directed by Burt Reynolds. So to me, it makes me nostalgic. I feel like it's the kind of movie you would watch on a Saturday when it was raining and you couldn't go outside and no one was, you didn't have anyone to go do something with. So you sat and you watched a movie like Sharky's Machine. (laughs) In terms of the Burt Reynolds canon, right? I feel like they're better films. I really think... What about Evening Shade? (laughs) Is that the TV show? (laughs) Right? He directed lots of episodes of that. Yeah, I think so. I, and Charles Durning's in that, too, I think. Oh, is he? Oh, well, so they're buddies, yeah. I don't know if anybody else in this movie's in that. Was Lonnie Anderson in Evening Shade? I don't know. No, Were they oh, what's her, I just up? looked it up. It's Mary Lou Henner. Oh, so, Mary okay. Lou Henner. Okay, so right. the replacement for Lonnie Anderson once they broke up. <laughs> oh, right? yeah, they dated. Mary Lou Henner and Burt Reynolds Burt Reynolds dated, yeah. dated, okay. But honestly, I mean, I feel like Burt Reynolds is not good at the pure action, like, serious stuff. That scene where the guy who plays the Dean or whatever in Revenge of the Nerds and also is kind of the same character in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Bernie Casey, that's his name, where he's talking about Zen and everything like that and watching Burt Reynolds sit there listening to him. And it's like, I'm just like waiting for Burt Reynolds to laugh or Mm -hmm. to, like, he can't, I, I don't feel like he can function as a serious person. I'm not saying this in a negative way. It's it, As a movie star, what I like about Burt Reynolds is the humor and there are moments of that in this movie. Mm-hmm. Also, that scene with Rachel Ward where he's carved the wood and <laughs> he's talking about the drawers and everything like that. And they're just kind of talking and it's this superficial and it's flirty and everything like that. And he, and he seems vulnerable in a weird way. All that stuff I thought was really good. But then it's like, well, the action stuff where he's serious, I don't like it. I don't like Burt Reynolds as that person. I like... The lighter, not even comedy, but just like more human Burt Reynolds. And then when he's this kind of action guy, I don't like action guy, like serious action guy Burt Reynolds, like Clint Eastwood. Like he's not good at being Clint Eastwood. He's good at being Burt Reynolds. Right. Yeah. I, I definitely felt like he was trying to be dark. Like I said, there was one moment where he cracked that old Burt smile and it was the only time in the film. Yeah. And you could see he instantly pulled it back. And I was surprised <laughs> it made the cut because it was so obvious that he was going into one mode and was like, oh, fuck, that's not this movie and then like through his but you're right the thing about hooper and smoking the band is just he's just so damn charming and you know sally fields is just so beautiful and cute and they the two of them together are having such a ball you know that that's like you can't help but love that film it doesn't matter what they're saying or if the film's any good and he just wasn't caring he didn't carry this film with his charm i think the actors around him actually carried this film the yeah bernie casey was fantastic throughout the entire film yeah i feel like burt reynolds in a weird way is the weakest part of the film that's Mm -hmm. because he's not doing what he does best and then I'm thinking about, so the opposite is Clint Eastwood. So those movies with the monkey or the orangutan, right? Right. It's that same thing where it's just kind of like, you know, I don't really believe Clint Eastwood is that fun, you know, and, and it's, it's like really hard to, I, again, I only have vague memories of those films, but I remember it being like, I don't really believe that Clint Eastwood is, has the a an, sense of humor. The Any Which Way <laughs> movies. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's so so that's that's the thing is I don't think they're interchangeable as actors right they like I don't think Clint Eastwood's a better actor either I think he just spent less time 
Well, no, yeah, I, I think when he he would go, but he both of these were hits, right? So the Clint Eastwood orangutan movies were hits, right. and Sharky's Machine was a hit. So they could do that, and they could pull that off. But for me, as a connoisseur of Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood, right, their acting styles, there there are other films that I would prefer. They shouldn't stretch. I never yeah. I never watched the Any Which Way movies because as dumb and as vulgar as I am. I don't like dick and fart jokes. I don't find them <laughs> funny. I don't find talking... I don't like scatological humor. And my, my wife and brother-in-law do, and they're always like... I'm like, that's not funny. I don't want to talk about that stuff. It's dir dirty stuff. So your assumption is, is a movie with an ape in it is going to have those things? He's wearing a diaper. <laughs> he makes fart noises. I don't think it's with funny to fart. Yeah, okay. And then he's drinking beer, which I don't think that he should be doing. <laughs> I don't think he's old enough to drink that beer, and I don't think it's he can... Make the decision for himself, Metabolize right? it yeah. the right way. It is cruel. Clint Eastwood, man, of all the things he's done. Uh, should the film be found... So we always say, would you recommend this to a coworker or someone, <laughs> someone you encounter at the grocery store, Jim? Would you, would you recommend it? Hey, have you ever seen Sharky's Machine? Yeah, which section? The grocery store. <laughs> the frozen foods. <laughs> but popsicles. I, probably not. I don't know. It's it's okay. You know, it's like, I guess, I was trying to think what I didn't like about the movie. I guess it's like just completely, obviously, like, well, the plot, like what? Like sexy? This, it's really sexy. <laughs> the, uh, it's these, these kind of, you know this mysterious organization or these people with all this power and how they're, they completely destroy Sharky's machine. Basically they're yeah. there once they figure out who's, you know, that, that they're onto them and he, they just kill everybody and they just know they're like one step. These, the bad guys are one step ahead and they know everything, but then it all falls apart. It's just like, and then it, it's just like, Oh, the brother, well, Henry Silva, like, why did he shoot his brother? I was yeah. like, kind of like, it all, it all just kind of falls apart at the end. Fast, and it's yeah. like, yeah, it's like, well, they're like this, this scary organization that, you know, this, that seems to be on top of everything. And then it just all kind of peters out at the end. It, it definitely wasn't a film to like for the plot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just like the scenes, right? Yeah. Like the moment to moment. I just thought it was a good fun. Yeah. And the, yeah. And the cast. Uh, yeah. Like Henry Silva was great. You know, he's definitely ridiculous, you know, over the top and he could have gone even further but he was being completely nuts and he probably had a good time doing that he did delauded he did pcp yeah and he did cocaine i think <laughs> oh no he was snorting delauded is that what he was snorting doing? pcp i think right so i was thinking oh. it was cocaine but then the pills must were have the been yeah i think pills oh. were delauded and then so many drugs in that movie yeah and the freebasing initially like we we at least I decided that it's probably one of the earliest depictions of freebasing on film, right? Because that was the freebase, the beginning of the freebasing era, right? So it was when they moved from cocaine to freebasing when everything really went bad. There's a great, <laughs> that book, uh, You'll Never Eat Lunch in This Town Again. What's her name? Not Michelle Phillips, but it's something like that. She, her and her husband produced like Taxi Driver and stuff, but like, uh, I just... <laughs> remember i think it was like the talking heads that she was gonna produce that talking heads movie and they said going to her house 
and it was like a chemistry lab is like the description of it was like the house was just filled with like vials and beakers and things like smoking and, and it was just like this like a mad laboratory and you know you, like Richard Pryor catching on fire sure, yeah it's just that all of a sudden like right in the late 70s early 80s it went from just regular cocaine madness to the super hyper cocaine madness and to see freebasing but the weird freebasing too the guy Freebase snorted the smoke his <laughs> nose as pipe. opposed to yeah. his mouth yeah so yeah where's my list of drugs here it was yeah freebasing just regular cocaine and then i guess it was just dilaudid and pcp but that's still a good amount of stuff dilaudid's hardcore that's a that's yeah. a big time drug okay so rick would you would you recommend this to a classroom full of students <laughs> no <laughs> and, but that's the thing about it is what i think this movie is is it's one of those movies that you would find right it should be found, right? And it's that idea is like you're... And I think this era is disappearing where it's like, oh, you're just... It should be a tape that someone gives you that they taped <laughs> off of HBO and you're yeah. 13 years old and you watch it. And exactly. Whatever. And you're just like, I have to watch this all the time now. Or it's a rainy day and you're homesick and you turn on the cable TV and Sharky Machines is on TBS or something and it's got commercials every five minutes, but it's like you still you watch the whole thing and... That, that to me is what this movie is. It's one of those movies. And, and I'm wondering if that experience is going away because everybody, you have the streaming movie services and so you, you pick out what you want and the, the weird sort of just, there's nothing to watch, I'm just going to watch this kind of thing and, and then you, you get into it. I worry that that kind of thing is disappearing because I love that idea. I love it so much. My mom and I used to, in some of the rare great moments that we had together i would come home on like a sunday and she'd be watching some of course a black and white film which seemed repulsive to me but then i would sit down with her and start watching it and be transfixed and we'd watch like two or three black and white films in a row just yeah. on a lazy sunday afternoon and i love that the the best instance of that i ever had was one day it was finals week at college i lived in a house with seven guys you guys actually slept on the floor there right. a couple times <laughs> And I walked in and I was like, I'm going to study. And my friend Bob goes, look, Gone with the Wind is on. You should watch Gone with the Wind. And I'm like, Gone with the Wind, that's a that's a chick flick. I'm not watching that. And he's like, sit down, watch a little bit of it. You, you're so dumb. So then like, I sat down and immediately was transfixed. And then by the end of the film, there were seven of us there crying. We were all ignoring our studies and just watched like it was... And on TV, it was, I don't know, four and a half hours or something yeah. with commercials. And I was just like, this is the, one of the greatest days ever. I, I'm so glad I didn't study for my finals. And I'll tell you, I got more out of that day than I got out of the four and a half years I went to college. <laughs> Let that be a lesson for you, kids. Right. College isn't worth it. Gone with the wind. That's the only college you need. <laughs> right. All right. Should this film be rewound, Jim, would you watch this film again? Yeah. In, in a couple of years. Sure. If it were on cable on a rainy day, you'd be like, sure. Yeah. I remember Sharky's Machine. Yeah. Bernie Casey. That scene with Bernie Casey's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Zen speech is about to happen. Yeah, let's let's watch. Would you yeah. watch it again, Ray? Sure. I'm easy, though, you know? You know? <laughs> it's like I, I will watch a lot of stuff. It's I. It's only been recently where I've made vows where I will not watch something like you. Like when you talked about what was the remake? The the, the, Gambler, the Gambler. Right, right where yeah, that. Don't do uh, it. Any... Uh, any Tim Burton movie that's a remake of another film I, I will not watch. You know, it's, there's certain things that now, even though I feel like I, sh I, I had an impulse, like I should watch everything, I'm now reducing that. I've, in the past 10, 
or so years, I've reduced the impulse to have to see everything good or bad. I'll confess I watched The Gambler as a stunt watch. I, I would <laughs> never have watched it, but I was right. like, I'm going to watch this because Rick and Jim will make fun of me for watching it because <laughs> of my comments around Pelham 1323. Three. But that's <laughs> the thing is is the Nicolas Cage interview, the profile in the New York Times, that, that got me super, super close to wanting to watch The Wicker Man with him. Uh-huh. It's it's so close to happening for me. All right, facts about the film. Release date, December 18th, 1981. So it was right in time for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't find the budget anywhere. Did anybody find the budget? No. It was um, $3 million in its first weekend and $35 million total from the box office. That's pretty good, right? For 1981 money. It's very good. I'm sure it was made for... Five, maybe. yeah. Considering that most scenes look like they shot them once and then went on to the next shot, like when Rachel Ward drops her coat, and then <laughs> yeah, there's certain certain moments where it's like, come on, Bert, just do another shot, do another take. There's one where he bumps a box too, and I was <laughs> yeah. like, they probably should have did that over. Rachel Ward has a very deep voice. Yeah, I, just, I, I was trying. To <laughs> That's a good Rachel Ward. Rachel Ward. Oh, I looked over. I thought Rachel Ward was there. Yeah, so, I didn't. I was trying to when I we were going to do this. I was like, wait, yeah, what? Just, I know her name and I know kind of know who she is, but I was like, where, what, what else was she in? And I looked, yeah, what was it? it Thornbird. It's stuff I'd never seen, but I, yeah. I do. I was like, oh yeah, okay, I guess I can. They talked about Burt Reynolds was like, somebody give him the advice, put him on camera before you cast him, so you know what they look like on camera because she was an unknown, mm. and he put her on camera and she said she just. It just exploded, like, and she does. She's gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous in this film. Yeah, and does a great job. I yeah. thought she's in Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Yeah, she's in Against All Odds, which is a remake right. of. That's the other one. What is that? The remake of Not Where Danger Lives. It's Out of the Past is the film that oh, Against yeah. All Odds is a remake of. Oh, thank God, I finally found that. Okay. Yeah, so you mentioned Rear Window. Yeah, well, I was thinking parts of that when it yeah gets kind of creepy, or he's just watching or taking, you know, he's looking through the all the gear. They got the the tape recorders going, all the mics they've stashed in their apartment, and he's across the building, across looking through the binoculars and everything. And it was like it reminded me of the you know the uh, the German movie, the uh, you know uh, oh. secrets. Uh, what is it? The Lives of Others. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like it was like a weird sexy. 80s version of the lives of others you know it's like really yeah. depressing and grim and east germany he's like a stasi agent spying on people <laughs> and like listening to their 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 lives basically mm-hmm. and he becomes attached to them and like yeah. this one woman especially and falls in love with her or something but he's like it's really grim he's like just al- alone right you know? and after the wall falls and he she's like an, a writer or something he find he goes to her book signing and but uh it was like that except 30, well, 20 years earlier, and it's, yeah. but it's all cool and kind of sexy. It's like... <laughs> and aerobic. <laughs> yeah, and so you realize, oh, Rear Window, the the solution for that is is that you have uh, Grace Kelly in it, right? So she's the creepiness, even though, what's her name? The physical therapist who comes in and says, you're, it's really creepy that you're watching, you know, these women and these people out the back window, in Rear Window, right? But then yeah. you've got Grace Kelly, so that helps mediate or, you know, yeah. reduce that creepiness. Yeah, this film... That's not there. He's yeah. definitely creepy. So it's like the lives of others, um, a little bit like the conversation, I guess, yeah. too, right? Yeah. But then I was thinking, <laughs> there's the scene, right, where Henry Silva, right? You see that he's watching also, and he's so creepy, like super creepy and doing all the drugs. It's almost like, it's like, okay, this is super creepy, Bert. 
you seem really super creepy in this. How can we solve that problem? It's like, oh, let's show somebody who's even creepier watching her, right? <laughs> it's almost like, oh, let's, 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 by, by showing, yeah, this super creep that makes Bert's creepiness seem less creepy, right? It's tempered. Yeah, exactly. He's, was like, he's very creepy. There's a scene where he makes out with his friend's daughter. That's really weird. He's like, oh, you were talking when you kissed me on the lips. Kiss me on the lips again. Remember that was so weird, like the goodnight little girl scene? Did you, guys, did you forget that? In Sharky's Machine. Uh-huh. The, his, the little girl comes down the stairs and he's like, give her a kiss, Shark. And he like grabs her in her oh. arms and he kisses her and she's talking while he's kissing her. He's like, you were talking when I kissed you. Kiss me again. <laughs> and he kisses her again on the lips. And then later on in the film, he's talking to Rachel Ward and he says, I could just watch little kids all day or yeah. something. Yeah, like there that. is I'm some like, weird what stuff. What is going yeah. on? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he comes across as a little strange. Well, he's 44. He's not married. <laughs> <laughs> Bought his childhood home. He's kissing little girls. Yeah. I don't know what okay. he's doing. Boy, man, yeah. So you need Henry Silva there to just make sure that you don't start thinking about Tommy Sharkey. Thomas Sharkey. Tommy Sharkey. His I'm going to call him Tommy Sharkey. That's you, why you I feel named... that's disrespectful, don't you? <laughs> well, Tommy's what they call him when he's a little kid. He's an yeah. adult man now. I'm going to call him Tommy. I was wondering, maybe is that why I named my son Thomas? It was after mm. Thomas Sharkey. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I remember that his name I mean, was it Thomas. is. it is an unusual name. <laughs> it is actually my son was named my daughter named my son after watching the kids are all right oh wow she was a big fan of the kids are all right and she like said she was insisting we name my son tommy and and we we're like why do you want that and then she put on the kids are all right and was like see mom tommy and we're like okay we're, we're done we'll name him tommy <laughs> that's great nominated for a golden globe rachel ward for new star of the year in a motion picture. Oh, speaking of her low voice, so, so she's probably a smoker. When she was smoking in the uh, movie, she seemed like she was a professional smoker. <laughs> so that's my assumption, right? Is that the voice is not just natural. It's like smoking <laughs> actors, actor, right? Sure. Right. Like a yeah, professional smoker. I'm going to make that call. Like a... Like she, like she an smokes. actual smoker. Yeah, yeah, not a uh, smoker who acts like they smoke. She seemed like a real smoker. <laughs> I could be wrong. That's my call. John Borman was originally asked to direct this film wow. by, by Burt Reynolds, but Borman was busy making Excalibur, a film uh -huh. we've mentioned here before. Yeah. And I almost remember, so the, a couple episodes ago, I couldn't remember who was in Excalibur, the actress. And then I remembered, and now I've forgotten again. Rachel Ward? No. I'm going to look it up just so we can get this over with. Continue. Rotten Tomatoes, mostly positive but some banal reviews, again, 86%. So my favorite review was from Rob Thomas of the Capital Times, where he said it was a better-than-average cop film with one legendary stunt at the end, mm -hmm. which it did have. The, yeah. the largest free-fall jump, the highest free-fall jump of all times. It's just the first, the first second he jumps out the window, but then it cuts to the obvious dummy. But, <laughs> yeah, the first part is great. It's amazing. It's obviously real. Which begs the question... Why didn't they use the rest yeah. of it? It was looking fantastic from yeah. my point of view. I mean, it must go bad at some point. Right. Like, why did they cut? Yeah. It looked good. Maybe so, you could tell it wasn't him. Or... Do you remember this? So bef was this before or after the Steve McQueen movie where they drove a car out of a oh. building in Chicago? Yeah, the Hunter? The Marina City. Yeah, was that at later? So was that a one-up of that scene? Or was this... Yeah, that the Steve Which McQueen one? was earlier. That, was it? I think... 
Well, maybe not. I feel like it was around the same time. Yeah, I saw was. them filming that scene. Mm. It, my, we were downtown on a Saturday, and they were shooting that oh. scene. I didn't see the car. It's the Hunter. Come out, but it was things the Hunter, whatever year that is. Helen Mirren, ladies and gentlemen, a very oh, yeah. uh, yeah. obscure English actress, <laughs> actor. She's an Excalibur? She's, uh, see, now I've forgotten. See, I went off the page. She's Morgana. She's the evil sister. I think it might have been one of her first film roles. I love Helen Mirren. Yeah, you probably like Excalibur. You should you should see. Uh, you haven't seen it, right? No, that'll yeah. I'll have to watch it between. That's my new homework assignment. I still haven't finished the book, <laughs> the child's book that she told me to read. I'm in twenty <laughs> uh, twenty pages in. Mixed up files of. Oh yeah, so it says the hunter was 1980. So I guess that mm-hmm. the car going out the window, in Chicago. But that wasn't as high as what they shot. Okay. For so, this film, right? Right. This film, yeah, that was just, high jump. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Why would somebody jump out of a building that high? <laughs> that's stupid. Hollywood man, anything. I mean, how did he hit the back? I don't think, that's why cuts. I don't think he, yeah, he must have been like, in a net or something. Or a wire or, or something. Or some like of. jumped into a helicopter. <laughs> something no, sensible like that. <laughs> hit it. He jumped into a helicopter. <laughs> or they had two helicopters with a net between them and he jumped into that. <laughs> We haven't talked about the helicopter shots, right? Well, you know, you know who invented the the bag, right? The airbag for uh, stunt jumping. Yeah. Hal Needham. Huh. Soundtrack songs: Street Life, Dope Bust, Routes. There was, I didn't. There was. I was looking out for the Manhattan transfer. I didn't hear that. I didn't There's, hear it either. Right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Maybe it was in, in the uh, the club or something. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the. The drug dealer called My Funny Valentine, of course. High energy love theme from Sharky's Machine. Sung sung by Sarah Vaughn. Eight to five, I lose. Uh, My Funny Valentine by Julie London. Julie London. Sexercise, a Don Severson original. <laughs> Let's Keep Dancing by Peggy Lee. Sharky's theme and Before You, Sarah Vaughn again. Did I ever tell you my story? I, I, I work in this building, and uh, uh, a fine arts building. And one day, I'm walking to my office and somebody's standing in the stairwell going <laughs> like tuning up a trumpet and everything like that. Oh, they weren't <laughs> doing it with their mouth? No, no. Tuning up a trumpet, you know, getting loosening up and everything like that. And then I go to a faculty meeting, school of music faculty meeting the next uh, next week and uh, uh, the trumpet, one of the trumpet professors, they, they say, that was that was great how you got uh, Doc Severance in here to, to do a performance. <laughs> it was like, whoa. Oh, crap. It was like, oh, he had played, and he was just standing in, in the stairwell of our building warming up before the show, and I was completely oblivious that I was actually, you know, feet away from Doc Severance. I was just like, who the hell is playing trumpet in the middle of the stairwell? <laughs> you know? You were the grumpy old man in that <laughs> again, situation. Again, it's like... Wow, that's really weird. Why is somebody doing that? That's really that's not really that respectful <laughs> of our the rest of us working here in the building. If Doc Severinsen would have offered you a jazz cigarette in that moment, would you would you have accepted it from him? That is my favorite phrase. Jazz cigarette. I just love that so much. Would you have broken your, your no. straight edgeness? No, I, I think I, I would have just been like I'm already high on delauded. I'm I'm high on that that those the the jams you are playing, my man. <laughs> he's still. It's, I looked him. He's still around. Yeah, he's got he's it. Like he 90, was pretty young too. Yeah, yeah. I think he's, he's in his nineties. Yeah. Is he Doc Severance? Yeah, he's still, he's still oh. around. Street Life by Randy Crawford was also included in the film Jackie Brown. So I feel very strongly that uh, Tarantino 
watches and borrows a lot from what's this guy's name? Burt Reynolds films. <laughs> yeah, there was the spear gun. The spear gun. Oh yeah, the spear the, gun on the boat. That's we just right. saw it once upon a time in Hollywood. It's, it's kind of a tenuous, but. Once you started talking about Quentin Tarantino, it was like, oh, look, spear gun. And then snoring, beautiful snoring woman. Yeah. Which happens twice. Twice. Still, it confounds me that it's it's a joke that's in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood twice, but now it explains it because it's like, hey, everybody, it's a Sharky ma- Sharky's Machine reference. And then it's like, I don't think everybody got the Sharky's. What do you mean you didn't get the Sharky's Machine reference in this? Oh, I'm going to do it in the, the movie again then. So everybody really understands it's a Sharky's Machine reference. Or is it a Sharky's Machine reference because they show her snoring twice in this film and he shows it snoring twice in yeah, Once Upon a Time? Yeah, maybe it's like the level of obsession and tribute there is is complete. I can't wait to run into him and ask him, hey, I got a question for you. Were the snoring woman in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? A Sharky's machine message. I've I've uh, bought him a, a drink once. Oh well. We were at the Dime in on Fairfax in Hollywood, and he walked in. I think Sophia Coppola was with them too, but I was too dense to know who Sophia Coppola is. Now she's one of my favorite directors. And uh, I said, "Hey, the wait person came up and got their drinks," and I said, "Just put their drinks on on my tab." And she delivered the drinks and came back, and she's like, they say thank you. <laughs> that was it. I thought maybe they'd come over yeah. and shake our hands or something, but that's all they, they just said. Yeah, they get them, free drinks all the time. Tell them thank you. That happens. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for making it uh, 600 days without having to pay for a drink. Tell them it's about time. <laughs> I thought we were going to have to buy these. I really thought today was the day we were going to have to pay money for something. <laughs> I don't know what to do with this money. <laughs> My wallet is so full of cash. I would just I just wish someone would stop treating us. <laughs> well, I was I was naive. It was a beautiful thing you did. <laughs> I don't know if it was beautiful. <laughs> At 220 feet, the stunt from Atlanta's Hyatt Regency Hotel, doubling for the Western Peachtree Plaza. Of course, I don't. I, <laughs> so there are two need... two large buildings in. Oh yeah. In, okay. So the large building was the Weston Peachtree Plaza, and then the stunt was just performed out of a different building. So the question oh. is, is the helicopter shot at the end where they show the boarded up window where the person jumped out of, does that mean that they boarded up a window in the the location where the jump actually happened or in the place where it was supposed to happen? That explains the cut, right? Is because they show a guy going out a window, but it's not the same building. That as explains the cut. It's a, it's a, it's <laughs> so, not as tall of a building, probably. And to explain what happens for those of you who will not watch the movie, is that the guy jumps out the window, and then they show a cut, and then it's a dummy falling, right? <laughs> it's dummy so, whose legs are like bending in the most <laughs> weird ways. Classic dummy Hollywood <laughs> dummy going out a window look. <laughs> so I had forgotten about that stunt, but they sort of hint at how important that building is throughout the whole film because there's the opening shot, helicopter shot that goes around and just just stares at this building forever. The building is even highlighted in red at the beginning, right? Yep. Yeah, um, that's in right. In the credits. And then there's the middle part of the movie, right, where the, we see the building again in at night with a helicopter shot, right? But yeah, you. so you said the opening scene, right? It goes from the helicopter shot to him walking on the street, right? So there's some... Imp- Right? Is that what yeah? It, at the it goes past that building and then comes yeah. down to him walking on the street to go do his deal. Yes. And then the ending shot where they're playing in the playground, 
from and the, then it pulls up and then goes to the building again, right? Yep, they're playing tire swing. And so they're th- those are the big things, the stunt going out the window and then the helicopter shots. Those are some of the more amazing parts of it. Whereas now, you know, that's almost every movie has that shot now. Where Our movies do that now. <laughs> we, can, yeah. we can have yeah, exactly. drones do it so Anybody easy. with a drone with a camera can do this shot, but it's like this, again, I think... It, pretty early example of that right just going full on with the helicopter and saying let's do a shot that yeah starts on the ground and fly the helicopter and let's go over to that building and do a close-up on the building all in one shot yeah it's amazing it's sort of like that shot in um psycho in the beginning of the film where it starts out over the city and then it flies into a window and then it actually enters the room that they're in. I always was transfixed with that shot because I I, don't know how he did it. He was such a master. Yeah, obviously today you could do it with computers or whatnot, but he had to do that crossfade perfectly. Yeah, and I've talked again with my kids about that. It's like the scenes where, yeah, somebody goes through a wall, right? You, you, You go through a doorway or a wall and I'm like explaining... They used to have to build walls that somebody was pulling this wall apart as the camera was going by because the camera's huge and everything like that and all that kind of yeah extra effort that used to have to happen. And now it's just all done with computers. And phones. You just sh- yes. they shoot everything on their phones now. <laughs> These kids. Lost and Found and Rewound is fully funded by Lost and Found and Rewound Foundation Funds. Lost and Found and Rewound does not use crowdfunding because our listeners have better things to do with their funding. There's no need to post reviews of Lost and Found and Rewound because our listeners have more valuable things to do with their time. In all sincerity, thank you for listening to the show. We truly appreciate it.